School didn't teach us how to be good at love. So I created the Stubborn Love Podcast to help you navigate it. With my expertise in the marriage therapy biz, I'll share insights on topics like sex, money, and rock and roll. Um, I mean, navigating conflict and more. No matter what stage of relationship you're in right now, this podcast is for you. Every episode has actionable tips that will help you create a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life with the people you love. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now and join me on this journey of love and learning for the stuff they didn't teach you in relationship school. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Stubborn Love here. I'm your host, Paige Bond, and today we have a very special guest. We have Dr. Emmy Tafelski, and she's an integrative soul coach who helps women who have suffered an untethering loss reweave their souls into wholeness. What an impactful statement. So um, before we dive into everything that has to do with how to make that happen, Emmy, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you came up with all of this and your journey? I would love to. Um, thanks, Paige. I'm so happy to be here. And like Paige said, I am Emmy Tafelski, and I work with women who have suffered a loss that shattered their sense of self. And I work to help them figure out who they are in the world again and put their soul back together in a way that's more authentic and more whole than ever before. And I came to this work after my mom died. That was five and a half years ago. Even though I was 42 at the time, it really was a loss that shattered me. And I think there was some part of me that didn't expect that to be true. I remember some months before she died, one of my mentors asked me if I was going to take time off um, because she was dying of cancer. So we knew it was coming at some point, though it wasn't like, you know, you don't know when. Anyway, my mentor asked me how long I might take off from work. And I thought like, oh, maybe two or three weeks. And I ended up taking a year off to just really do a deep dive into my own healing journey. What I found was from this shattered place, like this place of really not knowing who I was in the world anymore, like just feeling completely shattered, I could see more aspects of myself. I could see sort of like I envision it like a tapestry, like the soul as a tapestry. And so from that shattered place, I could see some threads that like weren't mine, didn't belong to me and some other like missing bits. So from the zoomed out view, I knew that I needed to heal and I didn't, didn't quite know how to do that. So I went on a lengthy journey. Yes. And I'm so interested to hear about that journey. But one thing that really sticks out to me is you kind of have this expectation to get through the loss in two to three weeks. And then all of a sudden that turns into a whole 12 month journey. And how, how did like, that's a huge difference of expectation versus reality. (laughs) At what point did you come to terms with okay, this is actually a lot longer of a process than I expected. I think in general, our culture doesn't make a lot of space for grief. 
And so though I'd had parents, uh, not parents, grandparents die prior to my mom dying, I, I, I don't know that I ever actually really grieved or created space for it. After my mom died, there was such a profound feeling of being untethered and like floating in the wind, like just insubstantial in the world. And as um, a therapist at the time, uh, it was my entire job to hold space for others, to create a container for other people to come and do their own healing work. But I had no substance, so I couldn't hold space. I couldn't make a container. I couldn't. It was like I was made of dust. So I did try to go back to work. Um, after a couple of weeks, I tried to go back to work as the day approached. I knew I couldn't do it. Like I could barely string two sentences together. My brain wasn't functioning. And I, I think that's another thing we kind of don't talk about when we think of grief is that your brain does different things when you're grieving. Um, it doesn't work at least for me. It didn't work the way it normally did. Yeah. What are some examples and how your brain changed that you noticed or that other people noticed? I just had extreme like brain fog. Like I couldn't, um, I couldn't even stare at the computer for more than a half an hour without getting a huge headache. I couldn't like my thought processes were disjointed. I couldn't come up with like responses to questions or like I really just couldn't think like it was like my whole brain was like fuzz I felt like fuzz yeah yeah and I like the imagery you kind of talked about previously of like it felt like you were floating in the wind and I just imagine this kind of like space of being in limbo rather than like grounded in something like is that yeah Mm. I mean, I talk about it in a bunch of different ways, but that's definitely one of them, sort of like like a leaf that's fallen off of a tree and you're just floating with no, like nothing attached to you anywhere. It's like you're just in the breeze, like going to land wherever, who knows, whenever, just floating. Yeah, that actually, like as you're saying that, caused me to like tense up a little bit and get a little bit frightened because that begs the question of, when am I going to land? Where am I going to land? How's life going to be when I finally do get to the ground if I ever get to the ground, right? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was, um, I I remember during the time period, my husband was like, I'm afraid you're going to get stuck this way, which was valid. Like I knew in the process I wasn't going to get stuck because I was I knew I was engaged in a healing journey, but from the outside, I feel certain it looked like, I don't know where she's going to (laughs) land. Yeah. So you said you took this 12-month journey to kind of start healing your soul in this tapestry process. Can you tell us like what, what that journey was like, like what you did? So I kept trying to go back to work. And it never worked, right? So it was like a period of like two months after my mom died where I had like multiple different dates of like return to work, yay, because the culture around us says like, you should be over it. You should go back to work. It, you should be fine. You should just go on with business as usual. So I sort of battled in that like tension for a while of like, 
following the cultural prescription of just going back to work. I should be over this. I don't know why I'm not over this. But I felt shattered, so I couldn't just be over it, right? So eventually, like I had had a pretty deep spiritual practice before my mom died. And it came to me in a meditation, sort of the knowledge, like you must stop what you're doing and heal. Like the only way to be a fully expressed version of yourself is to like stop and dive in. And so I took appropriate action with my clients by, you know, referring, like I picked a date of like, this is going to be when this is going to start. Referred everyone to other folks and started deepening my daily meditation practice and started seeing some local healers and they helped provide like the scaffolding that kind of nudged me along. And I did a great deal of the work daily in my meditation practice where I just, I went on spiritual journeys with myself. (laughs) And what I realized was that there's such a, it's strange to say, but from that place of being so shattered, there's an opportunity to step into what I call a healing portal. Mm. Like I knew that there was profound healing available and I just had to sort of like decide to step into that process, which that's what I did for 12 months. I dug into this healing work and was also getting my PhD at the same time. So I took my healing journey and I studied it for my PhD and wrote my dissertation about it um, because I wanted to know what happened. Like, what did I do here? How can I take this and create something to help others? Wow. So you created a masterpiece out of your pain, out of your tragedy. And within that, doing so much, you know, you you had your own private practice. And I'm sure there were some feelings maybe that you had about yourself of, okay, I got to slow down and take a break for a while, right? Because this is you know, our culture here in America where we're used to work, 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 work um, and not taking breaks like that. And then being able to continuously, like it sounds like you had this conscious choice of, okay, I'm going to continue to process this healing. I am making this conscious decision to step into this healing portal Okay. I want to know more about this portal. Like, um, (laughs) tell me, how do we get there? What do we do? Um, (laughs) How do we create it? Is it something that like we imagine? Is it through meditation? Tell us all about it. Yeah. So this is actually the first phase in my four phase soul weaving process, right? The first phase is called attune, where we literally attune to the portal, right? Like, And I don't know that it's more than just making the conscious decision, right? I think there's like a state of being in the shatteredness of like when everything comes apart, you can choose to move forward toward growth and healing, right? And so that's what like, but it's a conscious decision. It is a belief and a conscious decision. And so in my Soul Weaver program, that is a phase one, right? Like a tune where we first 
create space for all of the feelings that we have because our culture does not make space for grief and the accompanying feelings. And I try to be very careful to speak of feeling our feelings first, right? Because we can't sort of shove them in a box and pretend they don't exist and also move forward, right? Like we have to come out of the box and look at them and give them space and attend to them and then make the choice to turn with those feelings with us, right? Turn and step through the healing portal. Yeah. So I'm hearing that when we attune, there's no way that we could do this in our three-day bereavement leave that we get from our job. Yeah. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> I mean, you can go back to work um, if, if that's what you need to do, right? Like we, most of us need to work. <laughs> and I think there's a way to do it as a parallel process, right? Like I'm doing my nine to five or whatever your gig is, right? And at the same time, I'm going to take time each evening to, or once a week or whatever, to engage in this healing work that can be simultaneous to living life. Yeah. So I, I like how your way of doing this process allows space for just kind of a variety of different situations where people may not be able to have the luxury of, okay, let me take the the 12 months to be able to only focus on this or like focus on that while I also do school. How would you say that you can help people balance continuing to work or go through those kind of daily requirements or activities while also attuning to themselves? I think it's going to be different for everyone. And I think that I'm a giant fan of like time block. So I could see that sort of the structure of having time set aside for you to um, do healing work in the evening or in the morning before work or um, engaging in a daily meditation or engaging in like having time set aside to feel your feelings of loss and grief and to uh, tune into yourself and see, you know, what's what. And you can even also set aside, you know, like 10 minutes during your lunch hour to sort of check in and see like, okay, how am I doing? Do I need to look at a plant outside? You know, like, do I need to like get in touch with nature? Do I need to, you know, take some breaths? Do I need to, you know, whatever, write some stuff or whatever? Mm -hmm. I think that is super doable to be able to, because you can almost think of it as like an, a new addition, a new task. Um, just add it into your life, like taking on just any other new thing. So I, I think that process is super doable. So so you mentioned um, a couple of different things that it sounds like could help with that attuning process. The, the grounding of going and looking at a plant, maybe being connected in nature. Are those some of the things that you recommend doing this phase? Yes. I think um, I'm a giant fan of grounding activities and also, well, nature. I'm a big fan of nature too. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. Um, I also have three of my uh, foundational meditations that your audience has available to them in the show notes. And one of them was really foundational during this period for me where it's laying on the ground and receiving a hug from mama earth, like where you're just kind of like laying on the ground and feeling held and feeling not alone, less alone. And that was, that to me is a foundational piece of this beginning time period where things are very unsettled and you're very, un, like you're very floaty. 
So I think that that can really benefit people for sure. Yeah, I really love that one. That one just like felt really cozy and warm and at home. Um, So listeners, yes, I will have those in the show notes for you. So go ahead and download them as soon as you can. As far as the attune process, is there anything else in that that we missed before moving on to the next phase? The other piece of it is sort of attuning to the idea of soul as tapestry. So the visualization that carries us through the entire process is this concept of soul as tapestry and sort of the threads of the tapestry making up who you are. So that's another piece of a tune where we really kind of just visualize what our tapestry looks like and begin to be able to call it up at will and see it in our mind's eye and feel it as part of us. This is like sort of part of the scaffolding and the framework that gives us like a visual thing to do work on, if that makes sense. Like it becomes a little less amorphous to have like this visual. Yeah, I'm understanding this kind of as like a phase of exploring yourself, your identity, how you connect, how you connect to the world, to others around you, and you using that beautiful imagery of like all of these, you know, what are they? Are they strings? Threads that that reach out to all these many things that make us who we are. Is that it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Very, very cool. There's a piece particularly for women, I think, you know, I speak of untethering loss, like I think women in general are sort of raised to anchor or tether to things outside of ourself, whether it's a partner or children or whatever. And so kind of jumping ahead, but, but I think, I think that is one of the reasons why this work is so important, right? Because when we experience something that untethers us and we lose that external tether, it gives us an opportunity to re-anchor and do it internally, which is a much more solid, a a more permanent sense of self. Yeah. I'm also wondering, this begs the question, how long does this phase take? Because kind of learning about yourself, I I feel like, I I mean, you know, me being 29 years old and still exploring, (laughs) I feel like it's going to take a great deal of time to kind of like analyze this tapestry of myself in my life. So is there a certain amount of time that constitutes this process or is it just, you know, as you complete whatever? So I'm offering it as two different things. One as a group process that is 15 weeks long and the other is a one-on-one process that's eight weeks long for the whole, um, all four phases. But what you come out of each of those with is the knowledge of how to do this so that you can um, do it again when needed. But the whole process is looking at the different threads of the tapestries. All four phases is, well, the fourth one is the anchoring, the last thing, but the other three are looking at the threads of the tapestry. We focus and do visualizations for each phase, and then you leave and do some work on your own. And then at the end of the whole process, you have the ability to go back through this process whenever you want. I love that. So you're you're kind of like taking this in a process of uh, like an educational format, self-exploratory format, and then basically giving the person the tools to be able to continue their growth even after they're done working with you. 
Yes. Oh, love that. Love that a lot. Okay. Is there anything else in the attune phase before moving into your second phase? The last piece of attune is sort of the catalyst for phase two, which is release. But it's kind of where we look at the tapestry and we notice some threads that are like maybe discordant from the whole like they're an off color or they're like a different material. Maybe they're like knobby, but the rest of the threads are smooth or they're like dark and everything else is light or it doesn't fit something like this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like threads that don't fit. And that is the signal of moving into release, which is phase two and where we explore those discordant threads, those foreign colors or different material or however they show up. And um, we kind of follow them. Well, I'll give an example. So for me, one of my discordant threads was uh, related to disordered eating. And what I realized when I looked at that thread was that it was sort of attached back to my mom. And so what I realized is that it was, this is something I had tried to heal forever and it was stubborn. And what I realized is that it was never mine to carry. Like this was a thread woven into my tapestry by my mom, because that's what happens, right? With transgenerational stuff. It just, it's, you know, not a malicious thing. It just, that's how we are created. Yeah. We carry baggage. Yeah. That's the baggage, her baggage that was just kind of like woven into my tapestry. So I did the work of literally in my mind's eye unweaving that thread from my tapestry and letting it go. And it had a profound impact on my relationship to food and my body going forward. So other examples of threads to release are uh, like threads of patriarchy, uh, threads that tell us we're not enough and that we have to show up in the world in service to men or like right like stay small like this the thread of being staying small and not like fully showing yourself so in this phase we do all the work of the cultural threads the familial threads the messages that we got that stuck into our tapestry that don't serve us that we don't need that are holding us down and keeping us back This sounds like a really powerful phase and probably one that you can continue to go back to often because maybe you're looking at your tapestry and you see some threads, you take care of those, but maybe as life goes on, you realize, oh crap, there's another thread showing up and that is really foreign and doesn't quite fit in. And then you kind of rework through that process again. So Again, I love how your program, you can get the knowledge of the tools of how to use this over and over. I'm kind of wondering in, so I'm imagining, you know, as you're going through the process of, okay, I've identified that this thread doesn't fit here. What's the actual process of reweaving that or getting rid of that thread that doesn't fit? Is it the guided meditation or how does the process work? Yep. Every stage um, is really, is, is very heavy in like guided visualization. So where I will take you through the process in your mind's eye of literally seeing yourself 
seeing your hand, seeing your feeling this in your body, putting yourself in this place, like in standing in front of your tapestry in whatever room your mind creates around it. Right. And like, um, using a, I don't know, thread tool, like a needle or something. And like, uh, picking out this thread that doesn't belong and letting it go. And I'm kind of curious, what are some common emotions that someone would experience after that process is done, after that meditation? Relief, a deeper sense of wholeness, right? But I don't know, like, it's really the difference between when we show up because you end up being more authentic than before, right? Like, so it's, it's, which is also not a feeling. However, the feeling of like being harmonious, there we go, uh. harmonious. So more harmony throughout your system. Mm. I can imagine even after that, there can be such a huge shift and the way someone would interact with the world and other people around them, being able to feel more whole, more authentic to them. Like, I'm getting excited just talking about this second phase of yours. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so so that happens. You do the meditation. Um, and then is there anything else after that in this particular phase? We do a couple of rounds of the guided visualization, right? Like we do one focused on threads that aren't yours to carry that were maybe woven in by family or whatever. And then we do a, a piece focused on cultural patriarchy, that kind of stuff. And then we kind of take stock, like, do do we need another round or does that hit the, the two main ones? And then we shift into phase three, which is reclaim. Ooh. What are we reclaiming? We are reclaiming all the lost parts of the self. I think in terms of parts lost to trauma. So for me, that was a big deal. Um, parts that I had that really were just cut off due to trauma. Like I did a visualization where I went back into, and, and we don't do it. We don't do this particular visualization. But for me, I went back into each of these specific traumas and reclaimed the parts that got left behind in those instances. Hmm. Like the parts that weren't taken care of, the parts whose needs weren't being met. Yeah. Hmm. And then we reclaim parts that we've maybe cut off ourselves because we learned it wasn't okay to be who we are, right? Like, you know, we learned that in whatever way that it wasn't okay to be who we are. So we cut those parts off and we tried to make ourselves more uh, palatable to whoever uh, to get what we needed to get our needs met. But now we're adults. So we can reclaim all of those lost parts of the self to deep, again, deepen our wholeness and authenticity. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I could have used this process, um, especially after like a relationship ending, because there were so many parts of myself that I cut off to fit into the relationship. And then after getting out of it, 
I would still not know if it was safe for those parts to come back. So I would keep those quiet. And now I'm in the most authentic and loving relationship I could ever have. And those parts of me that are playful and curious and just filled with wonder of the world are able to be authentically expressed. So again, I'm getting a lot of joy hearing about this process of reconnecting to their whole self even deeper than that second phase like it's it's like all these phases just add on even more layers of being more authentic with yourself yep exactly perfect and i think you bring up a good point too right the fact that loss sometimes isn't someone dying or yeah, it's not always death, right? It can be the loss of a relationship or the loss of a career or the loss of your health or even a a huge life transition, even just retiring or becoming a parent or, I mean, just there are so many things that shatter our sense of self and leave us not knowing who we are in the world where this process can help you rediscover who you are. Yeah. And I'm glad you really said that and and pointed that out because I I think it would be such a shame if listeners thought, oh, gosh, well, I I didn't lose anybody. Nobody died. Um, And and they could have missed out on a really great experience with you of, you know, reconnecting to their whole selves by this whole process, even if it wasn't, you know, um, a death being involved. So I, I love that this is applicable to, to many different um, types of ways that things can be lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So anything else in the reclaim phase? Nope. We're just collecting all the parts and lovingly returning them to the whole. Um, so we, you know, the visualization for that is to like weave the, weave the threads back into the tapestry the threads that are the right colors and the right material, right? So like we took out the discordant ones and now we're putting back in the ones that like somehow lost their way, but they fit, right? So we put them back in. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you ever notice that people have a hard time putting in the more authentic threads of themselves because maybe they have been lost for so long or they don't know what it feels like anymore, maybe. So I'm wondering if like there's been some struggles in that phase of putting it back in. It can be challenging. And so we try to create enough space. And I mean, essentially we're making new neural pathways. (laughs) And so repeating the process over and over again can be helpful but if we're if we're fully dropped into the zone and showing up, I, I think that makes it a little bit easier. If 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 you're able to kind of get into the uh, visualization process, then it makes it a little bit easier because you're on a different level than thinking about it, right? Like this is a deeper level than like thinking about doing this. It's using the imaginal realms, as Jung would call it. Not that I'm a Jung fan, but to to visualize this happening it takes it out of the conscious brain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that makes sense and i'm glad you explained there's like a difference like it, it sounds like this process wouldn't work if someone were to just like think about all these things we have to get out of the logical side of our mind and really in tune with our soul 
there we are. We're back to it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like this is deep soul work versus thinking about healing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. All right. So we do the the reweaving process. We're adding in the more authentic threads and the reclaim. And then our fourth phase of your process, what's next? Anchor. Hmm. That sounds safe. Yes. We pull all the threads together so the tapestry is tight. And we anchor the tapestry kind of into our body, anchor our body like into the earth, anchor our sense of self kind of internally. We also do a little bit of cognitive work here, like a little bit of the brain work where we kind of reiterate the process just to sort of anchor that as well, right? Like, so you walk out of here knowing how to do this for yourself down the road if a thread gets pulled, right? Like a sweater, sometimes threads just get pulled. Yeah. And you need to kind of smooth things out and yeah. I'm curious if you might be able to touch on an example, like in the real world, after they're kind of walking through this process with you, we're in phase four of anchor and something in the real world, a, a thread of theirs got pulled. How, um, like what would be an example of a thread being pulled in someone's world. So let's go with the example, like loss of, you know, a person that's important to them, like a a death or something. Is that like being reminded that they're gone or what would be the thread pulling example? For me, um, one of the big threads that I released was feeling like I wasn't enough. And I replaced that in Reclaim with always worthy. And there are some times where something will poke the not like the shadow of the not enough thread. So like starting a new business, let's say, (laughs) Um, or, you know, like just just, you know, a big change or something where um, some of that old shadow of that thread, it never feels as big as it felt before. Like it never feels the same as it felt before I did this work. And I can typically notice it and shift into the always worthy thread, right? Like the reminder of like, oh yeah, okay. I'm, I don't, I'm not carrying that one anymore. I'm carrying this one instead. So like, this is like where my attention can go instead, which I didn't have that secondary piece before. Yeah. In a cognitive sense, I'm kind of thinking of it as like, there's this bit of self-doubt with that new authentic thread being woven. And that self-doubt is like, "Mm, are you sure you're worthy? And you kind of have to get back into doing that soul work and layer back on or maybe even thicken the thread of uh, like strengthening it to kind of create this barrier from not being sucked into a spiral of that unworthiness or whatever that loose thread was. Yep, exactly. Cool. I love this concept. Um, love it so much. So once that's being done, is there anything else in the anchor phase that we missed? We do a lot of felt sense work, like anchoring in the like body sensations of this new, more whole, more authentic tapestry, right? Like what does it feel like to be here, to be you right now? Yeah. 
and really kind of anchoring in those feelings as well, like the felt sense of being in this place. How do you anchor into that? Is that through the process of, you know, the imagery meditation? Is that something mm-hmm. that you, okay, so yeah, what, what would be kind of like a, a way to start that process? We really get in touch with the feeling, whatever the feeling is, right? Like when I am in my more whole, more authentic place, like what does that feel like in my body? What, what do I notice like in my chest, in my belly, in my, like, how do my muscles feel? How does my, like, how does all of that feel? So I can relate that felt sense to the cognitive understanding of, let's say, always worthy. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I love that. You said there's like two different formats that that people can work with you to use this process. What would be the differences between the one-on-one and group program besides the fact that one's shorter, one's longer, and then one's, you know, more private and then one has other people involved? Are there any other distinctions between the two ways of going about that process? Not really. I think that there's some power in group work, right? I think there's power in group work and that's not for everyone. And that group experience runs only twice a year. If you don't want to wait that long, then the one-on-one is available at any time. In group, the group creates a circle whose energy feeds each other. And, you know, for soul work, that matters, which is not to say that doing it one-on-one wouldn't work. It absolutely would work to do it one-on-one. I did it by myself. (laughs) It's definitely possible to do it one-on-one. And I think that one-on-one offers the potential to have it be more tailored to your specificity, like the specific threads that are specific to you versus in group, it'll be a more broad, like we're looking for discordant threads, but I'm not going to have everyone tell me what those threads are Mm -hmm. personally. But if we're doing one-on-one, it's going to be a little more tailored to specifically what is the thread that you're looking at and how does it impact you and how, I don't know if deeper is the right word, but it's a little more, it's just a little more personalized when it, you're doing it one-on-one. Yeah, that makes sense. I agree with you. I, I love group work. I think it can be so powerful. Like there's power in community. You know, there's the phrase, it takes a village. It does, but it doesn't have to also. Um. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that would be good for listeners to know about your process that we didn't cover before I go into my last few questions? Yeah, I don't think so. I think I think we've touched on most of it. Awesome. Good. I'm wondering that, or, or not wondering, I, I can imagine that some people can maybe be intimidated by a process of kind of looking into their their own loss and, you know, getting grounded back into their soul and kind of maybe view that as like a very big mountain to climb. Um, what would you say to those people who are kind of viewing it that way as intimidating or as a big mountain to climb that would maybe help them feel a little bit more at ease in, in taking the step, say, for working with you in this process? I think that two things, actually. Uh, Number one, the reason I packaged this all together was because when you're sort of in the place of like you've experienced a loss, you feel or 
shattered and scattered and untethered, it is hard to come up with the way forward for yourself. So this is a blueprint and a scaffolding that will surround you, will hold you, will tell you the steps on the path so you don't have to come up with it on your own. Then the other thing is, that's why it's in four phases, right? Like, so it's not like we are not climbing this entire mountain in at one time. We are taking like small bites of the elephant as we go, like this piece and then this piece and then this piece and like pulling it all together at the end. So it, I think, becomes more manageable when we look at it um, as a phase model that we're working our way through step by step and you're not alone. I've, I've got the system and also my presence. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of handholding through the, the program. They're not alone. They don't have to, you know, do this on their own or find out the answers. You're going to be with them every step of the way. Yep. Awesome. Love it. Well, I've enjoyed this so much. Um, for listeners who want to see what you're about, want to get to know you or want to reach out to you, where can they find you? They can find me on my website, emmytofelski.com, which will be in the show notes because spelling it would, I think, be challenging. And I also have the free gift for everyone, which are my three foundational meditations. And I would encourage everyone to sign up for it just because um, even if you haven't suffered uh, the loss of a being or any loss right now, it's just, I mean, who doesn't want to lay on the floor and feel less alone? <laughs> yeah. And also your emails are amazing. So everybody should sign up for Emmy's emails anyways. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I enjoy reading every single one because they're so authentic. And so like, that's living proof of everybody. The process works. <laughs> thank you. I, that makes me happy to hear because I, I do show up with all of my uh, heart and soul in my weekly emails. Yeah, you do. I love it. Okay, listeners, um, we will have all of that information in the show notes. Uh, remember that we'll have the free gift of the three package comfort combo from Emmy with those guided meditations. Feel free to download them as soon as you can. And thank you, Emmy, so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Good. <laughs> All right, listeners, until next time.